Welcome to the Critical Witness podcast, where we talk faith, apologetics, evangelism, and anything else we can think of. We hope you enjoy the show. Right, hello and welcome back to Critical Witness. Uh, we're here with Dr. Cy Gart and uh, obviously Dan as well. Uh, we're going to be talking about everything to do with science and Christianity and where else the conversation takes us. If you've got any questions, please feel free to put them in the live chat. We'll field them as we go. Um, while we're uh, starting out, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here, Sign. Get to know you a little bit before we started live but um before we dig into some of the questions that we have uh would you be happy to share a bit of your story how did you um become a christian and um feel free to start as far back as you'd like and then we'll kind of dig into it um as we go all right well thanks for having me on yeah uh my my story is a bit unusual uh, in that um <clears throat> I was not a Christian. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, uh, which is not that unusual. But what is unusual is that my household was not only not Christian, it was very strongly atheist. Uh, My my parents were um, left wing uh, to the extreme. They were actually had been members of the American Communist Party in the 30s, and they Part of the uh, idea of communism in those days, and still is actually, is is a very strong uh, hatred and disdain for any kind of religion. And I I think Christianity rose to the top of that list, uh, mostly because I think it was in in great competition with, uh, you know, Soviet-style communism. So I grew up um, understanding that religion was not only wrong, but evil. And uh, it was incomprehensible. <clears throat> Excuse me, I think that was something caught my No uh, It was incomprehensible to me as not only a child, but as a young adult that I would eventually become a Christian. That was something that I considered was just completely out of the question and never thought about it. Uh, so that's how I started. And um, the other thing that was important to me besides this anti-theism, which I should say that like all atheists at the time, I, it was very different from the current climate. Uh, we, we didn't go around, you know, yelling and proclaiming atheism is the truth. Uh, we didn't, we didn't do what Richard Dawkins and his pals have suggested, which is, you know, confront and attack theists wherever you can and show how stupid they are. Now, that, that was just what, what atheists did in those days was simply not believe in God. <laughs> and perhaps in some cases, you know, uh, get more active, a little more militant than that, but not much. But in terms of how I felt personally, I just, it was everything that you hear now. It was, uh, I felt that God, Christ, the sure, uh, were, were simply myths that people told themselves to, so they'd be happier or whatever. And it 
there's no chance that any of this could be true because I knew quite with quite certainty that the only way to understand anything that's true is through scientific investigation. And the reason for that is my father was a scientist in addition to being a atheist. And I loved, I myself loved, he was a chemist and I loved chemistry and, but I liked biology a little more. So I compromised and became a biochemist. And, um, you know, I found, I found biochemistry fascinating and still do. And I became a research scientist. Now, of course, I'm compressing a lot into a very small amount of time, but that's fine. And um, what I found interesting was people have often asked me, well, if you had no religion at all, and I mean no, absolutely no religion, we, we didn't celebrate Christmas. We gave gifts on New Year's Day, which was the Soviet style. Okay, there's nothing to do with Christmas. Um, so people have asked me, well, with that complete absence, didn't you feel that there was something missing in your life, some sense of spirituality? And, and I did. But when I became a scientist, when I started studying science in college and in graduate school, I felt that was taking the place of religion. In other words, the beauty of science and the sort of the spirituality of science, which I think is real, was very satisfying to me and I really loved it. But it wasn't long before some very disturbing questions uh, arose. And my book, which I'll mention at least once, The Works of His Hands, is, is basically, which is called, a uh, subtitle is A Scientist's Journey from Atheism to Faith. And, and this book is basically my story uh, with a lot extra. But the first chapter of this book is called Quest is something about questions, the importance of questions, because that's what you learn in science is that, you know, answers are sort of trivial. The hard thing is to come up with the right questions. So there were suddenly questions that were coming into my mind from what I was learning in science. And as a chemistry major, for example, I had learned about the Schrodinger equation, quantum mechanics things in modern physics, which I took, like all of us, we took it for granted. We wrote down the equations, we solved them. But the philosophical background to things like quantum mechanics, where, you know, all kinds of very strange things happen. Like, you know, you go from one energy state to another energy state without passing everything in between. Not something we can do in any other situation, right? And other things about quantum mechanics, which I'm not going to get into, I'm sure, you know, everyone has heard about a lot of this, but for me, it was new and I didn't understand. I didn't understand why it could be true that something like the uncertainty principle, which is a fundamental foundational rule of science that is the basic reason why we're talking to each other this way across the ocean how that could be real because what the uncertainty principle says is you can never know certain things. You cannot know them. You can guess, you can estimate, but if you know the position of a, of a particle like a photon or electron very well, then your uncertainty of its momentum is huge. So the more you know, the more you know about one thing, the less you know about the other. And 
that kind of is a refutation of determinism, of scientific determinism, because it's saying you can't know everything. It's not possible. And it has nothing to do with, you know, learning more, doing more research, trying harder. No, that's not it. So that's a strange fundamental property of the universe, especially for a deterministic, materialist, reductionist like me. And I began thinking, well, that's really weird. And some of the other things about quantum mechanics, superposition and things which people have heard about are just also like Einstein says, it's spooky. I mean, it was strange. And that gave me some pause. And I started thinking, well, you know, it's not really, if that's the case, then how do I know that, how do I know what's real? How do I know what's real and what's not real? And, and, then, and then I began learning biology and biochemistry in detail. And I remember very clearly, I can still picture myself sitting in a classroom learning about protein synthesis and the way the information that's carried in DNA is translated, and that's the word we use, translation. It's translated into all the proteins that are in the cell. And it's an incredible process. I mean, it's just unbelievable when you learn it, or at least when I learned it, I, I, I just had shivers up and down my spine. I remember that. It's like, that really happens? That's incredible. And um, I always tell this anecdote at this point, which is that um, when I began teaching it later, uh, I would also get this sense of passion and, you know, I just felt so overwhelmed by the beauty of this process that um, one of my students once said to me that she thought, I reminded her of a preacher who was, you know, caught in the middle of a, of a, of a passionate sermon. And I thought that was very funny at the time. <laughs> So, you know, there were things in biology, I, I couldn't understand how all this happened. And I, I started looking up the origin of life because I'm sure that I was sure that there was some explanation. And to my surprise, uh, nothing was known about the origin of life. Mm. That hasn't changed very much, actually. It's a whole other topic, subject that I'm very interested in. So uh, these things, and then I began looking more into this, and I found out things like fine tuning and all the arguments you've heard from William Lane Craig and many others about, you know, the, the, the origin of the universe and fine tuning of the physical constants and on and on. And, and then I, I was fascinated by fractals, which are a very strange kind of mathematical structure that suggests, again, that there's stuff that's real that's not easy to grasp. Mm. Let's put it that way. Fractals are amazing. They, they're, yeah, they're fascinating. <laughs> yeah, that's part of that's in the book. Uh, yeah. A lot on fractals, and I've actually published a couple of papers on fractals with respect to DNA. So hmm. I began questioning things, and what I started thinking about was. Okay, we have all this stuff that's real, that's scientific, and what it's telling us is that the world is not the way I used to think it was. It's kind of, you know, spooky. <laughs> it's kind of uh, immaterial. There's something else. 
And what could that be? And that's when I started reading other things, things I never would have considered reading before, like um, uh, Teilhard de Chardin um, and some other more spiritual things, uh, nothing about Christianity yet. But I began wondering, uh, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't really be dismissing this idea of spirituality of something beyond what we can measure or what we can see and, hmm. and sense. And, uh, and so that put a real crimp on my atheism. In fact, it kind of steered me pretty closely to agnosticism. And I ended up thinking, well, I don't know. You know, this is just, and that's where I stayed for a long time. And, uh, but I was still interested. I did a lot of reading. I, I eventually, uh, while well, I was reading the Chronicles of Narnia to my kids as children's books, no idea, having no idea that C.S. Lewis was a famous Christian writer. I, I didn't, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't get any of the, you know, the lion analogies when I was reading those. And uh, eventually I did read some C.S. Lewis, which of course, I couldn't read it all at once because it, it, it was too Christian for me at that time. Mm. That's interesting. <laughs> but then, um, okay, so the way I tell this is, is, and the way it's in the book, is that and I probably would still be an agnostic today based on what I knew about science. But having gotten rid of my atheism, I found myself very open to a lot more than I had been. And what I was open to, among other things, was the call of the Holy Spirit. So I had some dreams, which at the time were very strange to me because it was clearly a figure of Jesus was in these dreams and telling me things and doing things and showing me things that were quite extraordinary. And these are extraordinary dreams. And uh, they're, they're in the book. I'm not going to describe them unless there's a question. But so I began thinking about this whole idea of Jesus Christ, which I knew almost nothing about. I had never been to a church in my life, except I went a couple of times to hear uh, performances of the Messiah, you know, at Christmas time. Uh, but I, I'd never been to a religious service of any kind. And uh, and a friend of mine uh, at one point who was a Christian, who was Catholic, uh, asked me to go to church with her once. And I was terrified. I, I, you know, I thought I'd walk in and they would start stoning me or something. <laughs> <laughs> they would, everybody would point at me and sinner yeah, we would know we, we, <laughs> we know when sinners it, walk into church <laughs> yeah and um and this was this was it turned out to be a great church it was it was run by some monks and um franciscans i think and what a different experience i mean the guy was talking about love the whole time you know there was no, no hail and uh fire and brimstone or you know horrible plagues and stuff and people were very friendly, you know, they, they wished me peace, shook my hand. I mean, that, that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> uh, and so I, 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 had, I had glanced through some of the Bible, I guess, in school uh, a little bit. I had no interest in it. 
once or twice I might have been in a hotel room where I picked up the Gideon's Bible and read something, but I, I didn't like it. Hmm. But I decided I would look at the Gospels a little more, and I specifically, so I just started with Matthew, was the first one, right? And that was surprising to me because there was a lot in there yeah. <laughs> that really grabbed me, including a lot of passages that sounded a lot like the uh, progressive ideology of my youth. <laughs> you know, like the first shall be, the last shall be first and, and um, you know, the whole emphasis on poverty and, and caring for people and all that. Hmm. And that was a surprise to me. And, and then I, I read more, um, and what really got me was the book of Acts, because I had assumed that all of the Bible was made up by who knows who at some point many years later, and it was a tool for oppression of the working class, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, but when I read the book of Acts, and, and I should say that my, my passion in school besides science was history, and I... I I realized that the book of Acts was a historical document. I mean, no, if somebody faked that, they, they, they were amazing. I mean, that's, that was, that really came across as genuine. Okay. And, and then I said to myself, but, but that says that a guy rose from the dead. How could that be? That's not possible. And then I said, wait a minute, how do I know it's not possible? Okay. If an electron can, you know, appear here and also appear light years away and, and influence each other. How do I know it's not possible? Hmm. It is very disturbing, but um, after these dreams where I, I saw the figure of Jesus Christ very clearly, um, I really started thinking about this whole idea of Christianity. And many people have said, why Christianity? Why not some other religion? And the answer is very simple to me. Uh, the concept of God coming to earth in the form of a man who was not a king, but a carpenter and who was able to show love the way he did to people is beautiful. And um, no other religion has that. <laughs> I yes. mean, it's, you know, it's hard to imagine God, right? I mean, who of us can think about God? But this was a guy and he was there and he spoke and he taught and healed. And uh, I liked that. Mm. Not that I believed it. Okay. I couldn't believe anything yet because I was still stuck in some way with my previous ideas. No, 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 you can't go there. It's just, it's impossible. I mean, I, I had decades of this in my background. Even after the dreams, even after reading the Bible, going to church, not for me. And then the Holy Spirit really had mercy and sort of, as I like to put it, not in the book, but in the article I, I had published in Christianity Today, uh, I say I was dragged over the threshold by the Holy Spirit. And that happened. It's one of those experiences that if you're really lucky and blessed, <laughs> you get them. And I was driving in my car and the Holy Spirit came to me in a way, again, that's described in the book. And I won't go into it unless there's questions or you want to hear more, but um, in a way that was undeniable. I mean, uh, 
after that experience, there was nothing I could say to myself to refute the fact that Jesus Christ is real, God is real. And um, I became a Christian on the highway. I pulled over during this experience, luckily. And uh, at that point, I was a Christian, but I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell any of my coworkers, anybody in my family. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know any other scientists who were Christians. I thought I was going to have to give up science. I thought I was going to have to, you know, refute evolution and, you know, to do all the, <laughs> believe the Bible, six days creation, 6,000 years earth. I, I didn't know. I didn't know anything. And luckily, I, at that, about that time, Francis Collins' book came out, The Language of God, which I read. And that was a blessing because I saw, okay, I'm not the only one. This is possible. I'm not crazy. And here I am. And here you are. Amazing. So just as a, I was saying before you came on, just I find stories that take a while for people to get from one position to Christianity actually yeah. really encouraging. There's a general trend among evangelists to or even in Christian sense, I have to evangelize my friend and expect them to cross the threshold of Christianity as soon as possible. So this, mm -hmm. how long was it from, or even from your first dreams to actually crossing the threshold? How long were we talking about? It's a good question. It was, it was probably in the order of five years or so, maybe a little more. One of the dreams I had, they didn't come at the same time. Uh, and uh, it's actually hard for me to remember exactly when they when they happened to me um, at this point. Mm. Uh, the first dream that I ever had that was a call was when I was quite young and uh, in my 20s. And I thought, well, that was a beautiful dream. It's so nice, but I didn't, I didn't attach it to anything else. And I had many calls as, as, as a youth. Uh, I had a girlfriend as a, when I was a teenager, I had a girlfriend who was secretly a Christian I didn't know she was Christian. And she brought me to a movie called The Passion According to Matthew, which is a beautiful film made by Pasolini, the Italian director. And the whole text of the movie is, uh, is, is you know, the gospel of, of Matthew. Hmm. It's in Italian. Um, and my reaction to that film was stunning. I, I, there's a certain part of it, I'm not going to go into detail, which where, where there's a, a musical shift, and I'm very heavily into music. And it, it, it just gave me chills and, and shivers, and it, it, just, it just spoke to my spirit. And I, I for about 10 seconds, I was, I was a believer. <laughs> you know, at, at the age of 17, when I was absolutely nowhere close to that. And after that 10 seconds, I immediately said, oh, well, that's just the trick of the music. And it's, you know, it's an emotional reaction and it's a little bit like hypnosis and it felt good, but nah, 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 you know, and, and that was that. Uh, and there were many other times and experiences that I had from, from youth all the way up that I ignored or didn't pay any attention to until I got to the point where I was open. Interesting. Yeah, there's quite a few. Dan, do you have a question? I've got a few <laughs> from, from that, but. Yeah, no, I mean, um, it's interesting listening to the, the kind of 
spiritual experiences you had and, and the and the role that they played in your um, in your conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of thinking of a lot of the, the questions uh, that you started to ask. I mean, wh- why is it do you think that that not more scientists start asking those types of questions? You know, I think we we generally um, I know it's not uh, quite accurate, but a lot of I think the general consensus in the public is that um, that scientists are the most likely group to not uh, to not have religious beliefs, That's and right. and yet they're humans like us, and they must ask you know a lot of the same questions. That's right. So why why is it that so so few scientists like yourself ask those sorts of more sort of existential questions? You know about you know, who am I? Why am I here? How should I live? Those those types of things. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, of course, I, I'm sure you guys know that that this is a re- fairly recent phenomenon. All the scientists in in European history were not just Christians, and not just they went to church. They were devout Christians. I mean, uh, everybody from you know Michael Faraday, Robert Boyle. Uh, Louis Pasteur, I have a whole list in my book. <laughs> and there, there are plenty of lists. I mean, you can just Google, you know, Christian scientists and, uh, you know, lots of Nobel Prize winners, um, lots of very famous founders of various scientific disciplines and, and many, many other scientists who are not that famous were Christians. Things changed towards the end of the 19th century when, um, you know, uh, I guess after Darwin and after a lot of philosophical differences, Bertrand Russell played a big role. Uh, the idea was that there's a conflict between science and religion. And, and there is such a conflict if you define religion and science in certain terms. Okay? If science is simply um, defined as a very reductionist, um, philosophical, materialistic way to look at the world. And there are plenty of people both in the US and the UK and everywhere who take that view and we call it scientism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then, well, that, and then, then yeah, that, that definition of science is not compatible with anything spiritual. It's not compatible with understanding of art or history or, you know, or, or language or, or so many other things. Um, and at the same time, if you take the definition of, of religious to include, you know, uh, jihadists and, and American Southern fundamentalists, yeah, that doesn't go well with science either. Uh, so, it, it, you know, you can make that case, but you, it's, it's very strange. I, I mean, being, as I am, very involved in the science and faith uh, dial or whatever that is, uh, conversations that go on everywhere. It, there are certain patterns that you see over and over again, and both among Christians and among and among atheists. And what's great about the people I associate with, which includes you know the Biologos people, uh, people at the American uh, Scientific Affiliation, people in Britain at the uh, Faraday Institute. Uh, I have several friends there, and and in fact, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, but um, the foreword for this book was written by Alistair McGrath, who is a British theologian and a wonderful man. And 
the good thing about associating with these people is that, you know, they're very thoughtful, they're very intelligent, you know, science, they know Christianity, and they are able to resolve many of these uh, questions by, the way I put it is, understanding that both science and the nature of God, including God's word, are not easy. They're very difficult. They require work. Mm -hmm. So it, it takes a lot of work to understand anything in science. I mean, you, you know, you name a question. I mean, just to be up to date, it's stunning how little we know about the COVID-19 coronavirus. I mean, it's, 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 it's unprecedented in my lifetime. There's so many things we don't know. We will we will find out, but it's not it, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if you read the Bible and say, well, the you know I've heard I've heard some evangelists, um, you know, I, who I've debated with, tell me it's very easy. It's right there. Read the words. No, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's not how God works. Mm -hmm. It's not very easy. Just read the words. If it were that easy, it wouldn't be from God. I mean, we have to work at this, mm. and. You know, it, it, if we're willing to put in the work, and, the, and these are the, the people I mentioned, and I haven't mentioned their names, but the organizations they're part of, you know, uh, Dennis Alexander, Ruth Bankowitz at, at Faraday and many others, Alistair McGrath and, and uh, so many others in, in Britain, and of course, mm. the ones in America. Um, this is what we know. We know that we don't have all the answers. Scientists always know we don't have all the answers. There's no such thing in science. Hmm. And we also know we, we don't have all the answers in scripture and, and all the answers in, in you know, understanding uh, our faith, but we have to work at it. And we, and we have to, you know, uh, get to the point where we will understand that there's only one truth, which is comes from God. And we can look at it scientifically, we can look at it spiritually, but it will turn out to be the same truth in the end. I mean, I believe that. Absolutely. Yeah. Amen. I think it's quite interesting what you were saying about the uncertainty principle. And there's just things that we will never be able to know completely right. undermines the scientism. Uh, and I just find it interesting that that's the thing that really shook you because yeah there is this belief and i do use that word intentionally there's a belief that science will find all the answers there's we can yeah. science our way to things but f from what i can my own understanding of knowledge is that the more i know is the, the more i don't know <laughs> that seems to be the case for science it's it's the case for what your yeah. fractals are, are like it you, you zoom in and there's still more complexity that's uh, right that's right and, uh, and, and in fact, um, I think one of the chapters, yeah, one of the chapters is called Science Surprises. Right. And what that chapter is about is the fact that the more we learn, the more questions are raised. So for every time we get an answer, we, we raise six more questions. Mm -hmm. And that'll never end. That's yeah. the nature of our universe. Yeah. Which tells us a lot about God. I mean, it's, you know, it's never going to be all wrapped up. Okay, here we are. It's, it's, it's done. We, we know everything now. Never. That's not going to happen. The, uh, and it's, it, as you pointed out, there's that two, two groups, sorry, two groups of people hold that view that we will find right. everything. So there's the, the prepackaged, here's your Christianity in a box 
this is God. Right. <laughs> uh, but right. then you also have the scientism of I'm going to know everything eventually by just sciencing our way through it. We we will find our way to morality. We'll find our way to how right. the world began. I just find it really interesting that that slices it open and goes actually no we we've we've still got to keep going with this um yeah. go on dan no, i was gonna say um in terms of um uh, like you feel you mentioned sort of pre-packaged christianity people looking for sort of simple answers from the bible you know this is what it says you know bible says it i believe it you know that's 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 it um you know how how do you engage with people um who kind of view uh the bible christianity science through that sort of very simple um lens because for, for us i mean we do we do have um i think biblical literalism is is kind of rare in europe uh we do, we, yeah, you know, I know. We do know people but it, it it tends to be a very american phenomenon and i was right. saying Phil, before we started my, my wife shared with me a study about um came out last month that looked at um whether there was a, a conflict between science and religion and, and religion look and took samples people from all around the world about sixty thousand people in the, in the survey mm. and the only one where it was clearly um country where there was um, a much a very negative view towards science was the us especially among you know evangelical you know, Christ, christians evangelical christians um so how how do you you know from your your perspective how 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 do you engage with people like that and try and get them to to think um uh, and yeah and perhaps um more along your lines oh, well <laughs> this is not a great moment to discuss <laughs> to discuss that i'm I, I, I'm a fairly patriotic guy, but not at the moment. I mean, this, I don't know if you know what's going on in the U.S. with respect to COVID, but yes, there, there's a level of insanity here now, which I find uh, incredible. Uh, mm. And I don't know what's going on. But luckily, I'm not living in any of those places. I live in, in the East Coast I'm in Maryland. And uh, People here wear masks and do social distancing, and we're not crazy. Uh, but I don't know what's going on in Arkansas or Texas or uh, Georgia. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I, I've been thinking about going back to Europe, frankly. <laughs> I, I did read, though, today that uh, contrary to what people are seeing in the media, that, that more people in America are using masks than not. I think it's about 59% of Americans are using masks when they go outside. So it's still a significant yeah. proportion and not, but um, you know, more, more, you know, more are using masks. Well, it's going to grow because the cases are going up exponentially. What, you're, what we're seeing now in some states is, is what you guys saw back in, you know, what was it, March or April, right? And, and Italy, I mean, you know, just mm. curves like that, straight up exponential one and a half to two day you know doubling time wow. it's 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 unbelievable and um and then you and you listen to these people talking about why uh it, it it's mass it's mass insanity uh so this is not a good moment to talk about that but uh i i know what you're i know what you're getting at and it's an important issue and i've had some debates with for example a number of uh, young earth creationists um and 
unlike the situation with COVID, I have complete sympathy with them because they're Christians. Uh, and to me, that is the critical thing. And and even some of the most extreme, I, I had, was one, I guess, one debate with Kent Hovind, who's a pretty uh, out there uh, guy. And, and, you know, at the end, we agreed that you know, we have some serious disagreements about interpretation of the Old Testament, but there's no question that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and is our mm. Lord and Savior, and that's what counts. Mm. Uh, so, you know, my own particular view is kind of hard to get across to folks who are not trained in biology or science, because they, they have to take my word for it. And, and my view is that things like evolution is not, and, and I have to argue with atheists about this too, evolution is not a demonstration of, of, you know, that God isn't real. It's quite the opposite. The process of evolution is a remarkable thing that required, in my view, some miraculous actions by the Almighty in order to happen. Mm. It, it's not just a thing that happens by itself naturally. And, and I can go in a little bit of detail here and, and stop me if it gets too much, but um, yeah, free, the, the, the whole concept of evolution is based on natural selection, right? Which means that organisms that do better, that, that are better fit for their environment survive and, you know, et cetera. But what nobody ever mentions is that in order for that to work, you've got to have a very accurate replication of the next generation. So if you have a, a, a bird, which got a mutation and now has better eyesight, but it doesn't pass that mutation on to its kids, there's no evolution. So how does that work? How, how, how does the kids of a bird almost look almost exactly like that bird with some differences, of course, but you know, all the structures are the same. How does one cell, when it divides, produce two cells that are equivalent to the first cell? Think about it this way. This is the analogy I like to use. Let's say you told somebody, I want you to make an exact copy of my house and everything in it. Okay? That could be done. It would not be easy because that everything in it includes you, <laughs> a person. Okay, it includes all your books, all your furniture, all your pictures. Okay, so that painting that you have on your wall there, Phil, would have to be reproduced. Everything. Well, you could do it. It would take a while. It would be hard, but you could do it. Now, let's say, build a house that does that replication. That's what we call replication, an exact copy. Now, build a house that does that replication by itself. You don't replicate the house the house makes a copy of itself. No, you wouldn't even know where to start. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. You could use AI. You could use, you know, a computer program. You could use 3d printing. You could use all this technology, but somebody has got to program that stuff. Who's going to do that. There's an agent. You can't reproduce things without an agent. And certainly you can't make anything that reproduces. I don't know anything that reproduces itself. People talk about the evolution of cell phones, but cell phones don't evolve yeah. Yeah. because they don't make themselves. <laughs> yeah. They don't reproduce themselves. We make them. And yeah, there's some natural selection, you know, better cell phones do better. That's how technology <laughs> changes, but that's not biological evolution. Biological evolution 
somehow or other, the early, the original cells were able to replicate themselves. And how do they do that? They do that by DNA replicating itself almost perfectly now. And once the DNA has replicated itself, it makes everything else that was in the original cell. It makes all those proteins which make everything else. And that's do this. That's because of this translation system, which I learned about as a graduate student, which is remarkable. Which you know we don't have anything in human technology that comes close to what that system does. And that system was present as far back as we can go in life. Hmm. Where did that come from? That's God's work, hmm. and that's why we have evolution. Now, if I could convince. <laughs> you know, my fellow Christians, that evolution, in fact, is a tremendous testament to the power of God in creation. That might help, but I don't know if I can. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm fairly, I'm fairly neutral either way, as I'm not really a scientist. I mean, the closest I get is computer science and a bit of physics mm -hmm. thrown in. But the it's always, I found quite remarkable, and kind of a question, when, when you were discussing with Kent Hovind, did he did he make Genesis a gospel issue? Because what I, I find is I'm quite happy to extend that courtesy to young earth creationists that, yes, you're Christian, you read the Bible slightly different, but I consider you a Christian brother right. or sister. But I've generally found there's a hostility so much that evolution discredits Christianity that they can't accept that from me. Now, I'm not, as, I'm not convinced either way because I'm not, in the position to to know and hearing you talk about evolution is quite fascinating because i've not i've not, I've not been taught it i'd somehow missed the biology bit <laughs> in my education right, right. but it's um I've, I've just yeah was that extended back to you or was it yeah uh, well, Kent, yes uh he he agreed that uh these are not salvation issues which actually there are a few there are a few people who don't agree with that. I, I have not had any contact with them and I probably won't. Yeah. Uh, in the States, there are a number of I think the only way to phrase it would be far out. There are a number of far out people, you know, who believe in flat earth and yeah. all kinds of very strange things. I don't know if it's. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why we're so crazy. Probably, if we had stayed with with England, we would be better off. But, uh, I don't know. We didn't want to say anything, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't force you to say that. Listen, Coming from an listen, American, you, you guys might you guys might find uh, if certain things go the wrong way, you guys might find a lot of people wanting to get back together. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a real fact. It is quite. Fascinating is probably the wrong word to with regards to what's happening now, but with regards to Christianity, it is quite an interesting thing to watch because I, we are influenced by American Christianity quite a yeah. lot in, in the UK. And a lot of articles and studies and things do make their way over here. And, and so I've, I'm, I have a few friends that are quite rigid on young earth creation yeah. and, yeah. and to the point that they will push back at me and I'm quite happy either way. If evolution was proved 100% certain tomorrow, it would have no impact how I read the Bible. Right, exactly. But, but exactly. And others, that's the key issue. 
Right. Yeah, for others, it's a key issue. So it's just quite interesting that you've you've managed to have those conversations and, and remain civil, and I hope that continues. Oh, um, I think so. I, I, I haven't done, a, recently I haven't done more debates with younger creationists because it's not my main interest. Mm -hmm. uh, to be honest with you, I, I don't really, it doesn't disturb me that people are young earth creationists. I, I don't find that a problem. Uh, you know, I don't feel any urge to convince them that evolution is true because it doesn't matter if they believe yeah. it or not. You That's know, right, it, yeah. it, so I'm perfectly happy with a Christian who says, you know, and I, many of my friends are in that same category. Hmm. Many of my Twitter followers, maybe most of my Twitter followers are young earth creationists and uh, we don't agree, uh, but I, it does that does not bother me. What bothers me, frankly, is where the new atheism is going. And this may sound surprising to you, but because you know the original new atheism was promulgated by one or two scientists, including Richard Dawkins, who, by the way, I, I happen to uh, in the past I, I, I corresponded with about something related to Darwin. So. I have a lot of respect for, for Dawkins as a biologist, as a scientist. But what we now have are sort of pseudo-scientific atheists who are actually engaging in science denial from the atheist side. Mm -hmm. And that's astonishing to me. I, I don't know whether you've heard this. I, I don't know if it's traveled far, but what I keep coming across is an incredibly crazy idea that I, that seems to have taken the atheist community by storm, which is that there's no information in DNA, the genetic code is not a real code, and um, all of this is a, you know, there's no evidence, you can't use DNA as evidence for god or anything other than it's just a chemical and the first time i heard i mean i had a couple of debates with people about this and i pulled down all my textbooks and i pulled that i have a i'm going to be making a video because I, I keep hearing this uh and and there's an atheist actually a british atheist named rationality rules stephen wofford i don't know if you, you're aware of him you are so he made a video in 2017 where it was just exactly on this subject and he got every he got the biology completely wrong. He doesn't understand what it means, what the code is. He thinks the genetic code is the sequence of DNA bases and that's not true. So I got I'm going to be making a video, you know, a response video to that. And I don't know how many people well, I don't know whether this concept came from him or it came, or it predates that video of his but it's completely false. I mean, it's scientifically false. And I, I don't understand how it could be that other biologists have not talked to these folks and said, guys, you're wrong, <laughs> you know, stop saying this. I do wonder if that's a problem. Because there's this uh, sort of level of YouTube uh, yeah. apologist yeah, on both sides, I on think both sides, Christian right. apologists can be guilty of this as well. Absolutely, They'll rush into research and go, "Here's the answer," and that, and and then you go, "Well, so, someone like yourself, who's 
lived and breathed this for for so long. Yeah. Just doesn't. Yeah. In fact, even the word research is kind of annoying because you know when people say I've done my research, they mean they've looked at they've looked at Wikipedia. You know, Wikipedia, <laughs> and I tend to think of research as you go into a lab and you actually find things out. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, it, it, that's a problem you have. But but this is an extreme case, at least. And for me, as a biologist, I find it infuriating. Same thing is happening with the Big Bang. I mean, now you're getting all these people saying, oh, well, the universe could have actually been past eternal. Maybe it didn't start at a particular point. There are theories that suggest that. Wow. You know, and you talk about you talk about fine tuning and they and you hear, oh, fine tuning has been debunked. No, it hasn't. <laughs> it's not. I mean, you're not debunking fine tuning. You might have a different explanation for it, but you can't say that these constants are not finely tuned. There's no mm -hmm. question that they are. So I, I, what's if you take all of these things and several more together, it's an astonishing picture of atheists who proclaim you know, worship of science who are actually engaging in denial of actual science. I, I, you know, it leaves me speechless practically. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, there's numerous examples of this. I mean, another example at the moment would be um, sort of skepticism around sort of sex differences and things like that. Um, and all that really shows me is that, um, you know, whether someone's a scientist or not, is that the reason is always motivated by some of the psychologists talk about motivated reasoning. And it just shows me that actually, look, if you're an atheist, you know, and there's certain evidence, you know, that perhaps a Christian scientist may thought, well, you know, look at the, the, you know, the origins of life or the origins of the universe. And, uh, you know, that's why Fred Hoyle originally mocked it. Right. You know, they realized right. that once you have a beginning, you know, the universe, if the universe has a beginning, then the logical question to ask is, well, how, how? <laughs> those, those kinds of how and who, questions. right? <laughs> and 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 it seems the same with the thing you're saying about DNA. Is I think right. um, uh, is, is 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 you look at that, and you do start to ask questions, those sorts of how who questions, because it seems it seems odd. It seems very strange, um, and it just seems to me another example of. Of, of a scientific re reasoning by being motivated by, um, you know, by reason, by motivations that aren't objective. That's right. Um, and I, you know, and like you said, I think there's a, there's a lot of that going on, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, and I agree with completely and I understand it because that's what I did <laughs> for many, many years. I mean, I, you know, I, I, if there was evidence I didn't like, I would, I would, my mind would say, well, how can I disprove that, right? Mm. And uh, we all do that, I guess. So it's very hard to be objective. Scientists try to be objective. And, you know, there are people like Paul Davies and uh, so many others, uh, names go out of my head, but, you know, who, who have looked at the reality of what science is telling them and, and they say there's something weird going on here. It's not making me a Christian, but there's something weird going on here. Yeah. And that's exactly where I was, you know, at some point. I, I, I wasn't a Christian, but I knew there was something odd. You can't deny that there's something odd. Yeah. Now, maybe you could say, well, it's something else. Okay, so there's a multiverse or there's, you know, there's, 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 there's some kind of pre-biological evolution that allows for the origin of life and the origin of a code. You can come up with answers, theoretical answers. Uh, 
But one of the things that I found once I became a Christian was that, you know, C.S. Lewis has this wonderful statement, which is, I believe in the sun, not just because I see it, but because by its light, I see everything else. And that's how I felt when I came to see Christ. Lots of things in science made sense. And I'm not saying God poofed, you know, this whole idea God did it is nonsense. God did everything. Okay. So, you know, it's not that if there's something we don't understand, we say, well, we don't have to study. No, we have to study everything. We have to understand how God did everything, which we're doing. But the thing is that what used to seem, you know, people say there's no, I, I had a, I had a couple of debates with Aaron Ra, a famous American scientist, uh, atheist. And, and, and he, he would say there has been no evidence of anything supernatural ever. And my counter to that is, yeah, because once we get evidence, it's not supernatural anymore. Okay, so if you told somebody in 1890 that you could... Uh, have an energy system where like you're boiling water and it goes from room temperature to hundred degrees without passing in between the other temperatures, he'd say, that's nonsense. That's superstition. That can't possibly be true. And then, you know, Max Planck found out that's exactly what happens to every electron all the time. Hmm. So all of a sudden it's science. Okay. It's not supernatural anymore. Now it's natural. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's a very fluid boundary between that. Uh, between natural and supernatural. And, uh, you know, everybody knows that if you went back 300 years with an electric light bulb, you know, people would think you were a magician, right? I mean, that's clear. Yeah, but that that's the way things happen. And, and, and the fact is that all of this is the work of God, whether we're talking about us, you know, our consciousness, which is another thing that is impossible to even forget about explaining it. We can't even understand what it is. Mm. Yeah. Uh, God did all of this. Okay. It, it, God did everything. And it's great to study how he did it, but you know, it's a, it's an ongoing pursuit. It's never going to end. Just, just on that front, I, I looked at your conversation with Aaron Ra uh, very briefly. I did the thing that no one should really do. And I looked at the comments and uh oh, oh, i didn't do that <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's fascinating to me because when we say god did it the general response is that's a god of the gaps argument exactly and and so I, and I, I have my own way of responding to that but i'd just be interested in in what is your go-to response for the oh that's a god of the gaps argument uh well Okay, I try to avoid God did it. So, and I try to avoid being accused of God of the gaps. And the way I do that is what I just said is that God created heavens and earth and everything in between, including the laws of nature, the laws of physics, the laws of biology. So, yeah. So, you know, whether whether we have animals because of evolution or whether we have animals because of some creation process, some all of nature is god breathed is god produced mm. and if we can understand how that worked at least to some extent and again we're never going to get it all 
And, and the fact that we're never going to get it all is to me proof of God. Because why don't we get it all? <laughs> because we can't get God. Yeah. Uh, so uh, how do I respond to that? I, I try to avoid it. There are people who use God of the gaps. I think some of the people in intelligent design occasionally will do that. They'll say, well, you couldn't have, you couldn't have, I don't know if they say this anymore. I, I'm very good friends with some of the ID people, but um, some of them used to say things like, you, you can't have this particular biological feature because of such and such, improbable or whatever. And, and so therefore it was created by God. So that's a God of the gaps. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, some of those gaps have been filled. And, you know, Francis Collins is, has made some very good points about that. He said, you know, the problem with that is, yeah, there are a lot of things we don't know. But once we know, if, if you base your faith in God on what we don't know, you can be in trouble because when we find out what happens to your faith. And, and what I, among the things I say in my book is that I don't believe in God because of what we don't know. I believe in God because of what we do know. And we do know about the uncertainty principle. We do know about fine tuning. We do know about how biology works. All of that is remarkable. And to me, all of that points to God. It's not the things we don't know that point to God. It's what we do know. I, I, like, I can't remember who it was, but it was a, a 19th century priest who said that um, he basically sort of summarized kind of what you're saying is that God created the world to create itself. And I've always found that a um, kind of helpful way of understanding. Who's this? I, I missed that first. I, I don't know who it was. It was a 19th century priest. Oh, uh, I see. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I think sort of around the time of Darwin and uh -huh. the way he kind of explained it is called. Yes. Yes. Itself. And, I think I've heard that. Right. Um, I, so I'll, I'll have another question. So in your book, you say that, um, hopefully I'm quoting you right, but you say that, um, belief in God is never opposed to modern science. That's my belief. And I was, I, I'd be interested to find out what, um, what are some of the, the, the conflicts that, um, you know, non-Christian scientists might raise as, as, uh, and you would consider the sort of best, uh, argument against that, against that case. Well, okay, so some will raise biblical stuff, which I, is not a very strong argument because they're not biblical scholars. And it's kind of amusing to hear even people like Aaron Ra, who is very smart, by the way, and, and some of the other atheists uh, quote the Bible. And, and you know, okay, <laughs> they're not theologians. And I mean, the worst theologian of all is Richard Dawkins. I mean, he just, mm. you know, he has no theology. So, so that's not a very convincing argument. Uh, but no, the Bible does is not going to convince me, or I think anyone who thinks about it enough that that uh, that there is a conflict between belief in God and science. Uh, I mean, you don't have to believe in the Christian Bible. You don't have to believe in the Old Testament, and you could still be believe in God. So, um, so really, what it comes down to is is this issue of natural and supernatural. Okay, so we assume that God is supernatural by definition, because, but we're defining supernatural as anything that we have not yet been able to incorporate into our naturalistic 
worldview, which is addressable by science. And like I was saying, that's a shifting boundary all the time. I mean, there, before Darwin, one of the things that was, that was considered supernatural and metaf part of metaphysics and not part of science was biology, the entire field of biology. That was not a science. It was a metaphysical, philosophical, interesting uh, subject, but not for scientific investigation because nobody had a clue how to begin to study anything about biology other than to, you know, uh, than to categorize different species. That was about as far as you could get. And biology was all mixed in with, you know, human psychology and consciousness, and it was all just one mush. And Darwin, one of his great contributions was that he kind of destroyed that. Not just Darwin, there were, there were other people at the same time, but it was all in the 19th century who began doing physiology experiments, who began, you know, looking at the molecules of life, the very famous synthesis of urea in whatever it was, 1824. Uh, and then the discovery of proteins and how these things work as catalysts incredibly efficiently. And so biology, biology became a science, but it was it, oh, very recently, I mean, you know, 150 years is the life, is the so far the lifetime of, of biology as a science. Hmm. So what's next? I mean, psychology is, is, you know, on the verge. There are some people who think psychology is all a lot of wishy-washy nonsense. And there are many psychologists who don't agree and who say that, you know, we're, it's getting scientific and we don't know where that's going to end. You know, uh, it could end with theology. <laughs> I mean, the same people who say, you know, well, we don't know yet, but eventually we'll find out through science, you know, somehow don't want to accept the fact that if that's true, at some point, not only will we understand how life originated and how the Big Bang came about and, and why everything is fine-tuned, maybe we'll also find out that God is real. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I've always found that idea. That. Right. Yeah, I've always found that idea that we'll find answers through science, a faith position in itself. But I quite like that answer. It's well, actually, well, maybe you will science your way to figuring out that God exists. I've I've heard some uh, who are delving into physics and and the sort of quantum side of things that that's that's what people are expecting is that they will suddenly be like, oh yeah, uh, maybe it does, maybe it does exist. Um, there's there's a couple of things in the the comments. One of which we'll probably go back to one of the earlier com conversations, just because he asked it. But the conversation moved quite quickly. But before we do that, just a quite a fairly quick question, I reckon. Um, do you have to know the how before it makes any sense to ask who? I think it helps. I'm not sure. I don't think you have to know it completely, but. It, it, it's I, as a scientist, I like, I like to know the how. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 But I, I'm perfectly happy to just, I mean, I know who, okay. That's, that's very clear in my mind. And, and uh, if you're trying to convince somebody that God is the who, uh, I don't think it hurts to know the how. I think it's helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can see that. Um, with, the other question kind of goes back to evolution, um, but just have you 
um, synthesized or, or harmonized evolution with historical Adam and Eve? Is that something you're exploring still? <laughs> um, they're just asking what your position is on that. Yeah. Well, um, okay. So, so obviously that's that's one of the hardest questions. That's a hard question. That's like the problem of evil. I mean, <laughs> you can write books on this, and people have obviously. Oh, people have written a lot of books, including yeah. some friends of mine. Uh, so, so basically, what I will say is this: I, I believe I believe that uh, human beings are uh, are part of the evolutionary process in their bodies. Okay, uh, I, I I don't think that there was could possibly have been a single couple that were created and that gave birth to all people because the genetics don't allow that. And in fact, the Bible doesn't allow it either. If you read Genesis, it's very weird that uh, it was Adam and Eve, two boys, and then everybody was there. Where did everyone else come from? You know, where was his, where was, uh, what's his name? Uh, sorry. Cain's uh, wife. Cain's wife, right? Where did Cain's wife come from? Well, who built the city? Yeah, on and on. These, these are standard problems. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I look. I looked at one point. I actually looked pretty carefully into the Hebrew of that section. And, you know, it doesn't say that God created the first man. It says God created a man because there was no one to till the fields, which means there were no farmers. And so God needed a farmer. And I think I think the story of Adam and Eve is about the first farmers, not about the first people. Interesting. Having said all that, which means that mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, we are homo sapiens and we and we're related to Neanderthals and we come from homo erectus and all these other species. But having said that, I also firmly believe that there was a miraculous intervention by God in the creation of humans. It may have been a couple. It may have been more than I, I don't know. We'll never know that. Yeah. But I'm sure that that happened because there's something about human consciousness that I don't think you can explain through evolution. Now, people try to all the time. They use evolutionary psychology. They use all kinds, but these are not scientific. They're just very narrative driven. They're a narrative, exactly. And they fit, so you use them, but they're not scientific. And so evolution, you know, there's once, I don't know how much I want to go into this, for time sake, but you know, th think about you have you have two tribes of people, right? What one has no no actual human consciousness, they're sort of like really intelligent chimps, and the other are just like us. And they, both groups decide to go hunting. So the first group, they all get together, they take whatever tools they have, and they go hunting. But the human type people, there's a few guys in there who say, you know, I'm not in the mood today. I I, I feel I feel like I don't want to kill anything at the moment. And they don't go hunting. So who has the selective advantage in that crowd? <laughs> okay. Human, human consciousness is not selective. It doesn't help us survive. People keep saying, oh, yeah, intelligence and we work together and all this stuff. But you don't need, human, you don't need to be able to produce a beautiful symphony to survive. You don't need to be able to paint incredible pictures. You don't need to be able to understand how the world works. All of this stuff is tangential to survival. And so Dawkins explains it by, by using what he calls uh, spandrels, that these were innovations in the human brain that came along with things that were uh, crucial to survival. That, that's nice, but it, there's no science there at all. Hmm. 
That's just a speculation. And, and you know, one of the, I have a chapter in the book called People, and, and one of the, the lines that is often quoted that I say is that uh, we don't, we don't, people often don't see miracles because we're used to miracles, but we call them human nature. And by that, I mean that look at what we're doing. (laughs) We're talking to each other. We're 3,000 miles apart. We're talking in real time. We're seeing each other. You know any chimps who can do that? (laughs) Dolphins, maybe? I mean, Mm. not even close. They can't even talk when they're standing next to each other. And, you know, and yes, they can, they've learned communication. You know, you'll hear DeWall and, and Sapolsky talk about how animals can do all these communication, only if we teach them. So there's something really, really special about us. We, we have changed the way we are because of our brains and our minds and our consciousness, not because of our genes, which is how evolution works. So I, I think it's time for people to give up on biological evolution explaining human beings that is not in the cards so okay so where does that come with adam and eve so the adam and eve story to me is the story of whether it's metaphorical or somewhat literal or somewhere in between that's the story of how god created humanity as we know it maybe they were a couple of you know hominids Maybe they were already homo sapiens. I don't know. But at some point, God breathed a soul into human beings, one way or the other. That could have been through mutation. Who knows? I have no idea. But that's what I believe. So in a way, I do believe in Adam and Eve. I believe there was a, you know, a beginning to humanity, which involved a creation event by God, a miraculous intervention. And how that was, we'll never know. I think that's why it's so tempting sometimes i think uh, as part of our of the human condition is that we we love simple answers to complex questions right Good and point. i think we we often bring that to genesis yes. and we think well right well it seems to say there were these uh, one man one woman in the english language without looking at the hebrew right. and even the term adam it's not right. necessarily a personal name but uh so a different time but we we look at that and we think well especially westerners you know americans etc uh, people in europe not so much but we, we look at it and we want that simple right one man one woman god made them one snake that's that's where we all came one from yeah right. and and I think the difficulty with with your position, and I'm not disputing the, na- the validity of it, is that it's very complicated. Yes. And, and, yes. It, and, it, and it's not something you wouldn't look at scripture and derive that view that you explained from it. It's not. Right. It's, it's not. It's not exegetical in a sense. It's You're right. You're right. You're right. And and this is my problem. And this is why I'm. I do not consider myself an apologist, because I think that want to me one of the proofs of god is god's existence is that i believe scripture is complicated mm-hmm. because if god were going to say okay i'm going to write it very simply so you all understand when jesus christ who was god incarnate came to earth what did he how did he tell to us what did he do he used parables i forgot the number was it 35 to 40 parables yeah i mean those parables are not necessarily 
easy to understand in, in detail. They're, they're very deep. And, you know, I, there's one parable, which I, I don't want to go into it, but he explains what it means. Okay, Jesus tells the parable, and then he says, here's what it means. And that's not the end of it. <laughs> I think it meant a lot more than what he said. So, I mean, you know, this is, this is how God speaks to us when he's with us. Why wouldn't we assume that God speaks to us the same way in the Old Testament? Mm. And that makes sense because the nature of reality is complicated. There's nothing simple. Name anything simple, anything, <laughs> you know, in your life, yeah. in the world. In, in, where is there simplicity? Simplicity is a, is a silly illusion. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and looking back through history, the the struggles that Christianity has often faced with regards to how they treat other people have come from people going for the simple answer rather than digging right. deep and, and looking at the complex answer. I've just been reading up on some of the um, historical positions on, on slavery. And that was one of the major issues in the American church, uh, particularly, oh, yes. and probably in the UK church as well was the, the easy argument was look at the, look at the old Testament and clearly there's slavery there. The yeah. complex, argument was well look at the trend of scripture and look how how can you treat someone who's called your brother in this way and and just just that complexity of um scripture yeah. has often been the, the struggle and and as christians we are called to wrestle with it and wrestle with god even on that right it's a, a historical christian perspective um and I mean, we could spend another hour talking about divine hiddenness. That's a whole nother kettle <laughs> of fish. But um, there's one more question, which kind of leads into our general last question. I realize we're, we're pushing our, our hour with you a little bit further. But there's um, one one question, which um, just what, who are your top three apologists? If you're going to. Uh, oh, wow. That, that's a great. I mean, I, I don't think I can limit it to three. That's so fine. I'll just start talking. <laughs> So I think William Lane Craig is, is a genius. Uh, I hear him talk sometimes and I don't understand how he doesn't have a PhD in physics. I mean, he, he just really, I, I, I heard a discussion with him on, on the, uh, on the uh, Briarly show, you know, unbelievable, which is, you know, the best show ever. <laughs> and uh, he was talking with Roger Penrose who is, you know, <laughs> Roger Petros. I mean, and he was holding his own. I mean, <laughs> that's amazing. So Craig is at the top of the list. Uh, <clears throat> although, although probably we would disagree on many issues, I think Ravi Zacharias was an incredible figure. Uh, listening to him preach is just you know, an emotional experience. I mean, and I, I mourn his passing. Uh, there are a lot of, I have several friends in the U.S. who are doing very well. Uh, there's a group of young apologists, uh, Cameron Bertuzzi, Capturing Christianity, um, Mike Winger, uh, Inspiring Philosophy, Michael Jones, uh, what do you mean, John McRae? Yeah, brilliant guy. Oh, my God. Yeah, he, he came out of nowhere and just blew up. I mean, it's, I mean, 
And, you know, you, I watch his show with my mouth open, you know, I never get a chance to close it. <laughs> He's incredible. Yeah. Uh, David Wood, uh, not David, uh, yeah, David yeah, Wood, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, is, is astonishing. I mean, again, uh, but then, you know, the, these are fairly young folks. I mean, there's also Lee Strobel and Juana Wallace. I, I think Juana Wallace is, is, uh, is brilliant. And, mm. uh, you know, I, there's so many, uh, you know, and this makes me very happy that I'm not one because I wouldn't want to. <laughs> I wouldn't want to have to be in that crowd, you know. Yeah. That's, they're really good. They are do they are doing a, a, a great job, and that's part part of the inspiration for, the, for this channel is realizing that all those names are on the other side of the pond. <laughs> and uh, well, yes, well, there are plenty. We've got of, Justin I mean, Briley, and we've got we've Justin Briley <laughs> at the top of the list. I mean, he's yeah. incredible. Yeah, and and I, uh, so I mean. I don't know if you would consider them apologists, but you know the the the, the British science and faith folks like you know mm -hmm. Dennis, Dennis Alexander and Alistair McGrath, John Palkinghorn. So McGrath is good. Yeah, they don't have their own YouTube channels. We have to work on that. I think I think See, that's, that's whole, the thing because they're they're like my age, yeah. and I have a YouTube channel, but please don't go to it because the <laughs> the videos are terrible. I'm going to have to fix them. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, uh, you know, our generation is still catching on to things like videos. So, uh, yeah, uh, well, we, we'll do our bit and I'm not sure if we're the YouTube generation, but it seemed like the right thing to do. Um, but, uh, yeah, we enjoy it. We get to chat to, to people like you, yourself and maybe if we can get, um, I haven't actually, honestly, my, my ignorance showing, I haven't actually come across Denis Alexander. So I'll have to look him up. That's uh, a name I've taken away from this conversation. Dan yeah, he was. He recently retired as as the director of the Faraday Institute. I've heard of the Faraday. Oh, I've, maybe I have um, come across him, just not. not really. Yeah, uh, the Faraday Institute is great, but uh, there's also I I forgot the initials, but Christians and Science, CIS, Christians and Science is a is another. That's when I was mentioning the organizations that are involved with science and Christian faith. The, the most and, known. Uh, sorry, carry on. No, no, that's it. Uh, the, the most known on this side generally come from uh, the Ravi Zacharias ministries and yeah. um, their sort of, uh, I'm not sure what you call it, their, their school within Oxford, um, Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. So you've got right. people like Michael Ramsden and um, Amy or Ewing. Amy or Ewing and a few others. But um, yeah, we've got them, we're, we're gradually lining them up to have a conversation with them on here. <laughs> good, good, good. So, we've got, we got Justin Briley in a couple of weeks coming on uh, oh wonderful yeah, yeah. wonderful he yeah. just lives up the road actually i i fun fact yeah. i used to um i taught in the same school his son went to so when i was a, when i was a teacher well yeah. say hello to him for me uh he said he was going to have me on but uh you know he's i'm sure it's going to be a while <laughs> <laughs> he's probably got a long list That's good. but he just had he he's he had a uh terrific conversation with francis uh Mm. Collins, uh, who, you know, I don't know whether Francis considers himself an apologist. Uh, he is in the sense that he has brought a lot of people to faith. Mm. Uh, but, and of course he started by Logos and he, he's very strong Christian. Uh, I was fortunate enough to meet him at work because I worked at the NIH for six years when he was there, when he first oh. arrived, he's still there. 
Uh, and then I met him at various other things. So and he's just a remarkable figure. Uh, he just won the Templeton Prize, which is mm -hmm. extremely appropriate. So uh, there's another one who uh, would be at the top rank for me. Just before Dan goes on to his question, just just on that point of I've sort of been pondering the the what makes an apologist. Uh, yeah. There seems to be a trend, at least in the states, to have specific degrees of apologetics. Yes, yes there and, are. And I'm just kind of there's something about it that I guess it depends what's in that degree. But there's something about it that makes me slightly uncomfortable because <laughs> you have people like yourself. I would actually call you an apologist in the sense that you're defending your faith from the experience and knowledge that you have. Right. And, okay. Well, then in that case, yes. But yeah, I don't know anything. Not, I don't know anywhere near enough. Bible or theology, to right? It. But you're yeah. learning that as that, then that's the Christian walk, and I think that's kind of yeah. where I'd like to see that. That's my own personal trend is that actually apologetics comes out of your own confidence in the gospel, okay? Um, and and I've personally found that the more I know the gospel, the more likely I am to defend my faith in the first place, right? Um, but it is just quite interesting. This that's again something that I'm just seeing in the states and trying, I'm just trying to work out well. What makes an apologist and are we promoting apologetics for apologetics sake or are we actually trying to go for let's well let's broaden ourselves beyond just this focus on apologetics and yeah there's people that are in, in new testament studies do that well defend that part well uh, and love god in that area and then there's people with biochemists <laughs> do that well <laughs> love god in that area well r rather than Maybe it's maybe it's there's a bit of place for both apologetists or the generalists of the the Christian faith. I'm not sure, but that's just something I'm kind of processing. Yeah, oh, that's fun. The best apologists are also evangelists. Hmm. No. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, just last sort of question. So what um, sort of if you had three books you recommend uh, a Christian should read? Uh, Obviously, one of them would be your book. Uh, oh, of but, course, uh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> four books. <laughs> three books would you recommend that, that Christians should read if they haven't already? Yeah, hang on one sec, because I actually have a blog post, which I'm about to find, which gave that list. And it's just going to take me a, a second to get there. Uh, yeah, here it is. Okay, and of course, it's not three. So uh, one of them is a book by, a lot of these are friends of mine actually, but this one, actually this one uh, uh, came out the same day as my book uh, by the same publisher, in fact. It's called Friend of Science, Friend of Faith. The author is Greg Davidson, who is, I believe he's the chair of the ge geology department in uh, uh, University of Mississippi, uh, as I said. We, we know each other pretty well, and uh, that's a great book. It's different from mine in that uh, it goes more into evolution and old earth uh, and has lots of arguments against young earth, uh, very well done, uh, and talks about how, you know, you can be a friend of science and a friend of faith, that's the title. Mm -hmm. And I strongly recommend, it's very well written. Um, there's a book called The Story of the Cosmos, which is a beautiful book. It's edited by another friend, Daniel Ray and, and uh, Paul Gould. And it has, it's a series of 
um, essays by Christians who are either astronomers, astrophysicists, or something like that. And it's about, it's sort of a antidote to the Cosmos series by Neil deGrasse Tyson. And it's sort of anti-religious bias. And this is looking at the story of the cosmos from a very different perspective. Uh, also on the list I have, speaking of Adam and Eve, uh, Josh Swaminas is a friend of mine and he has an interesting hypothesis called the genealogical Adam and Eve, uh, which I think is very well worth reading. Uh, Alistair McGrath, has a book that just came out recently, which I really liked. It's short. It's called The Theory of Everything That Matters. Um, let's see. Then we have, this one is very popular. It's doing very well. Uh, it's called Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin, who is, a, is also on your side of the pond, or at least yeah. comes from there. I don't remember if she's moved. I think, you're, you're the, I, I think she's been recommended by the last three guests. Yeah, that, <laughs> we're going to have that, to have her on this show, I think. <laughs> that's sort of a, I think it's a bestseller. I mean, it's one of, the, of all these books I'm mentioning, I, hers is way up there uh, uh, in terms of sales. So, uh, oh, uh, <laughs> there's a guy named John Garvey, who is British. Uh, he's a retired physician. Uh, we have been friends for some time, but we've never met. He's never come here, and I've never met him there. Uh, he has a book called God's Good Earth, which is very interesting, uh, dealing with the problem of evil. Hmm. Uh, so it's a lot more than three. Uh, I could keep going. That's, but, uh, maybe that's great. That's They'll keep story. me busy for a little while. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's. I have a blog post uh, on my blog, which is called, the blog is called The Book of Works. And there's a post called My Literary Collaborators. Uh, and I list these all, 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 about it looks oh, yeah. like around a dozen books on there. I'll put that on the stream. All uh, recently okay. published, by the way. These are all very recent. Cool. I'll put that on the live chat as well for anyone. Cool. Well, we've, we've stretched our time to almost an hour and a half. So I really appreciate your, your time with us. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, great, great to chat. Dan, any final comments? No, just to, just to say thank you. Really interesting talking to you, and uh, I really look forward to getting your book. Once I said, once I'm uh, allowed to buy books again, uh, right. it's going to be one of the first start I'll get once my wife gets back to work. Absolutely, yeah. No, greatly appreciate it, and greatly appreciate what you're doing on on Twitter and engaging with people and your your discussions with everyone else. So. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us on our, our small channel. And I, I hope those who listen to this will appreciate it as well and um, follow you on Twitter and follow your blog and um, buy your book. book. Buy your book. Yeah, get oh, those sales sure. up. <laughs> get those sales up. Um, but yeah, really appreciate your time. I'll, um, I'll stop the stream. If uh, those watching just want to go onto Twitter or subscribe on YouTube or however you do your social media, just get, we're, we're there. Uh, and uh, we've also got a podcast which has currently two episodes we're gradually getting them onto the system so uh, subscribe on whatever podcast system you use otherwise uh, it's been a pleasure we've enjoyed it hope you have and uh, we'll sign off there all right thanks for having me on are you not entertained 
thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show if you like what you hear please do give us a subscribe on youtube or follow us on any of the social media out there and give us feedback get in touch let us know what you think if you really enjoyed the content and want to support it find us on patreon.com